0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: In John chapter 8, we have the description of the woman who was caught in adultery. In John chapter 8, beginning in verse 2, it says, Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, referring to Jesus, And all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were saying this testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to get out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. When considering this section in John chapter 8, the traditional approach is to consider two fundamental philosophical ideas. The first one is to go and sin no more, and the other one is to not be judgmental, Do not condemn anyone for their sin unless you are absolutely sinless. These are the two traditional approaches that people take when considering these verses in the scriptures. But in reality, what is taking place here is something completely different. What is really taking place here has nothing to do with these issues of go and sin no more or do not be judgmental towards anyone unless you are completely sinless. That's not what is really taking place here. However, let me address these traditional perspectives for just a moment and then I'll come back to the real issues of what is really taking place and why this is so important to be found within the scriptures and what it really means in terms of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The first thing I would like to address is this perspective of go and sin no more. From the perspective of the Old Covenant, this certainly would be consistent, that no matter how much you sin, you are to still try to live a life of sinlessness, that the focus of this would be to sin no more, to never sin again, to never commit any sin. And even though you may have committed a sin in the past, don't just use that as justification to just give up and live a life of indulgence of your flesh, but instead to continue to live a life of trying to restrain your flesh in accordance with the definition of the Old Covenant, that that is something that you are definitely to do. And so if we were to look at this statement from the perspective of the Old Covenant, when Jesus says, go from now on, sin no more, this certainly would be consistent with the Old Covenant. But from the perspective of the New Covenant, I would not be willing to say that this is consistent, because our life today, in accordance with the New Covenant, is not to be a life of trying to stop sinning. If that's the case, then you certainly will never stop sinning. What do you really hope to accomplish by that? It's very similar to jumping to the moon. The moon is up there in the sky, and you can jump up into the air to try to reach the moon. But it shouldn't take very long after jumping up and down for a little while before you figure out that there's no way you're ever going to reach the moon. And so what are you doing? Just being a professional moon jumper by trying to jump up to the moon throughout your entire life, knowing that you're never going to make it. And your encouragement towards others is to try and jump up to the moon with you. And so you can get other people to jump to the moon with you or try to jump to the moon. This is the point of view that I see when trying to tell a person to live a sinless life, to go out and sin no more. It's like trying to jump to the moon. Instead, what I see in the New Covenant is that we live a life of trust and dependency, a life of trust and dependency on what Jesus has done for us. We live a life of belief in what he has done, belief in what we have, and we live our lives out of the abundance of what we have been given in our inheritance in Christ. This is a completely different way of life in comparison with the Old Covenant or trying to stop sinning, to instead live a life out of the abundance of what we have, instead of trying to live a life trying to obtain something that we do not have, that we never will, because the world certainly will never be able to provide it. The reason why we commit sin is because we have needs in the deepest part of our being. We have a need for love and a need for acceptance. And a need for purpose and meaning in our life. These are deep-rooted needs that we have. And the sins that we commit are committed because we are trying to have these needs met. And we are deceived into believing that through the committing of sin, these needs will be satisfied. The truth of the matter is, of course, that these are needs that our God created us to have that can only be met by Him. And so if you want to have your needs met, you have only one way to have these needs met. And that is through a personal interactive relationship with your God through the Lord Jesus. Otherwise, you have to turn to the world who will consistently lead you to dissatisfaction and disappointment because the world simply can never meet your needs. And so instead of trying to get a person to stop sinning, which is completely impossible, very similar to trying to jump to the moon, instead of dealing with the sin issue in that way, I'm suggesting that we should sincerely consider the reasons why people sin. And so instead of being so preoccupied with the sin itself, consider why a person sins. Consider the root cause as to why a person is committing sin and deal with that. And I think that you'll find that you can experience a great deal of success in comparison with the Old Covenant, which was stop sinning or die. And then the other theological issue that people like to consider is do not condemn anyone or be judgmental towards anyone Unless you are completely sinless, and this is encapsulated in the idea of he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. This is John chapter 8, verse 7. Well, this is very attractive to those people who commit sin and are very interested in continuing to commit sin, They are looking for a way of justifying their sin, perhaps. They certainly don't want anybody to complain about their sin or to tell them that their sin is wicked and evil. And so this is very convenient for many people who are wicked and evil just because they want to be and don't want anyone to tell them otherwise. This is a very popular verse to draw on to say, Well, look, if you don't have any sin in your life, then you can go ahead and tell me that my sin is a problem. Otherwise, don't tell me anything at all. Don't cast a stone at me because you are not without sin. If you were without sin, then by all means start throwing stones. So people will look at these verses, this chapter in the scriptures, as a means of justifying their sin and as a means of escaping any condemnation that anyone would level against them. Well, from the Old Covenant's perspective, this certainly is not consistent because in the Old Covenant, if a person committed sin... It was not necessary to find a sinless person to pass judgment on them. That certainly was not necessary in the law when it came to witnesses testifying against someone else or levying a charge against someone else. For them to be sinless certainly was not a requirement. And so if Jesus was intending to say that, then he would be speaking in a way that would be inconsistent with the old covenant, with the covenant that was presented through Moses. And also from the perspective of the New Covenant, this is also very inconsistent because we do not want to deny that sin is sin. We certainly do not want to be in a situation such as that. We are also called upon to be discerning, that he does give us discernment in our relationship with him. And that includes being able to pass judgment on certain situations and scenarios just because of the insights That the Lord provides for us, in addition to that, just simply governing society. We do need to have laws in place in society. We do need to have the ability to pass judgment on other people and to find someone who is sinless certainly would not be a very practical requirement. We wouldn't be able to sustain society at all if that was the case. And so when it comes to denying reality, then certainly this would be inconsistent with the new covenant. That to say that we cannot pass judgment or call sin what it is certainly would be inconsistent with what the Lord Jesus has provided for us, especially in the context of discernment. And so I don't believe that that's what he was intending to say. I can certainly appreciate the value of it to a certain degree. I do believe that it is of very little value to go to someone who is committing sin and start condemning them for the sin that they are committing I don't find that to be very productive. If you find that to be productive, then by all means, do that. But when you do that, feel free to evaluate your own circumstances and see whether or not your condemnation causes this person to finally stop sinning. In general, I find that to be very unproductive. And so I believe that if you'll take some time to look at the results of your condemnation towards other people, you'll probably find that it wasn't very productive either. And so, of course, it does depend on what you are trying to accomplish. And you should, of course, consider what you are trying to accomplish before doing anything of this nature, and then evaluate the situation to see whether or not you were really successful in helping this person at all. But again, what you will find more than anything is that the reasons why people sin is because they have deep-rooted needs in the core of their being, and without those being addressed, there really is no hope whatsoever of anyone experiencing a changed life at all. But again, with regards to John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11, this is not what is taking place here. While we in our theological circles of influence often talk about these subjects in the context of this woman who was caught in adultery, in reality, this circumstance has nothing to do with these subjects. I realize that might be a little bit of a surprise for most of you who are familiar With the traditional teachings that are presented in context of John chapter 8. But what I'd like to tell you right now is that these issues, while they may be important, have nothing to do with the context here of John chapter 8. The reason why John recorded this confrontation between the Lord Jesus and the Pharisees was not because of adultery, was not because of judgment, was not because of how do we now go live our daily lives. It was because of the fundamental differences between the Pharisees and the Lord Jesus. These differences are very important to identify and recognize, and when you understand the predominant conflict, the predominant, I mean the most important conflict, that existed between Jesus and the religious leadership of his time. If you understand this issue, and you understand this conflict between the two of them, then you'll see this circumstance in a completely different light. The conflict between the Lord Jesus and the Pharisees was not a conflict of do we tell people that it's okay to sin. It was not a conflict of do we condemn people for their sin. It was not a conflict of how do we deal with people who are committing sin. That was not the issue. The issue between the Pharisees and the Lord Jesus had nothing to do with these things. And so when they came to him looking to test him or to entrap him or try to find some way that they can have grounds for accusing him. It was not about these issues. It was about something completely different. You see, the Pharisees and Jesus would be in agreement with regards to the importance of turning away from sin. They would agree with regards to condemnation, or with regards to how a person should be condemned, and whether or not they should be executed by stoning. These are things that they would certainly agree on. But what they did not agree on had to do with how they were going to live their daily lives. You see, they both agreed on the law of Moses. That was not a point of disagreement. The disagreement had to do with the fact that the Pharisees believed that they had found a way to live in obedience to the law of Moses, and the Lord Jesus was trying to show people that they could not live in obedience to the law of Moses. This was the source of conflict between the Pharisees and the Lord Jesus. You see, the Pharisees believed that they had found a way to live in obedience to the law of Moses by adding many additional laws to the law of Moses. In effect, what they believed was that if they could determine a way of living or a lifestyle that they could live, defined by a set of additional laws that Moses did not give, then they could create a fence around the law of Moses, a perimeter, so to speak, so that as long as they lived in obedience to these laws that they had derived, then they would never come within the boundaries of possibly violating any of the laws that were given through Moses. This is what defined a Pharisee. The Lord Jesus came around, on the other hand, and he said, look, that has nothing to do with how a person really should be living. First of all, we are not bound by these laws that the Pharisees have derived, And that was certainly a source of conflict between the Lord Jesus and the Pharisees because he was breaking their commandments and yet he was not really breaking the commandments of Moses. And so the Pharisees were looking for a way to get rid of the Lord Jesus because they did not want him to be their Messiah. They wanted a Messiah who would teach the laws of the Pharisees in addition to the laws of Moses. But in conjunction with that, in addition to that, the Lord Jesus was explaining that there was no way to live in obedience to the law of Moses, let alone the laws of the Pharisees. And he summarized this very well in the Sermon on the Mount when he said that your righteousness would need to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. First, start with that, but then you have to exceed that type of righteousness, otherwise there would be absolutely no way that you could possibly enter the kingdom of heaven. That was the message of the Lord Jesus. But when the Lord Jesus had disagreements with the Pharisees, the disagreements predominantly had to do with the fact that Jesus was not going to live in obedience to the laws of the Pharisees. And so you need to understand the dynamics between Jesus and the Pharisees first in order to appreciate what is taking place here in John chapter 8. First of all, the Lord Jesus used the law of Moses in order to show a person that they had no hope of possibly entering into the kingdom of heaven, he also used the laws of the Pharisees to say the same thing by saying that a person's righteousness had to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. But it didn't mean that he was going to live his life in obedience to the laws that were given by the Pharisees and the scribes. That's not what he was intending to say. He was simply using that as a means of showing a person that they had absolutely no hope whatsoever outside of the grace and mercy of God. But when it came to the discussions between Jesus and the Pharisees, all of their discussions, all of their conflicts, all of their disagreements throughout the entire course of his ministry had to do with the fact that Jesus was not going to teach people to live in obedience to the Pharisaical law, but instead he was only going to teach people to live in obedience to the Mosaic law, That was the issue between Jesus and the Pharisees and the reason why they rejected him. You must understand that in order to appreciate what's happening here in John chapter 8, because here in John chapter 8 is the one occasion, the one circumstance, where the disagreement between the Pharisees and Jesus is not about the Pharisaical law. It is not about the Pharisaical tradition. This is the one occasion this is the one circumstance documented in the New Testament where the Pharisees are going to try to discredit the Lord Jesus on the basis of the Mosaic law and not on their own. That's what this is about. It's not about adultery. It's not about the woman. It's not about casting stones. It's not about condemning people for sin. It is about this disagreement between the Pharisees and Jesus that the Pharisees attempt to try and entrap Jesus or discredit him, or to have a reason to accuse him on the basis of the Mosaic law. Again, that's the importance of John chapter 8 with respect to the woman who was caught in adultery. It's not about any of these theological issues that people want to present. Now, if they want to present these issues, that's fine. I'm not wanting to argue that point, and I do realize that there are many things that people can talk about and discuss by using John chapter 8 in this way. But in doing so, it's very easy to neglect the reason why this was recorded, and I sincerely believe that the reason why this was recorded is to show the one occasion that we know of when the Pharisees decided to try to discredit or accuse the Lord Jesus on the basis of the Mosaic Law. Throughout the ministry of the Lord Jesus, before and after this point, it was always about the Pharisaical Law That was a system that was derived in order to ensure a person would never come within the boundaries of violating the Mosaic Law. This circumstance is very unique, and so you must read this in that context. This is best understood in verse 5. In John chapter 8, verse 5, if you understand the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees, you can see exactly what they're doing, why they're here, why they're bringing this issue up at all. I'm going to begin in verse 4, though. In John chapter 8, verse 4, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? In other words, Moses says this, but what do you say? That's what they're saying. They're saying, look, Moses says that we should be doing this, but you say something different. I dare you to say something different. What else could you say besides what Moses said? If that's what you say you're about, if that's what you say is important, if this is what establishes you as the Messiah, your obedience to the Mosaic law, then here is an opportunity for you to say something other than what Moses said. That's what this is about. It's not about the woman caught in adultery. It's about the issue of are you going to agree with Moses in this circumstance, or do we have you in a situation where you can be accused of something that is contrary to the Mosaic law? Now, when you look at it from that perspective, you've got to ask yourself the question, what's the trap here? What are they really trying to accomplish? I mean, if the situation is really about adultery, all Jesus has to do is say, well, that's what Moses said, so you should go ahead and do it. Now, of course, they're not going to do it because the Romans did not permit them to stone anyone, to execute anyone. That was a law that was imposed on them by the Romans. And so if the Lord Jesus says that they should go ahead and throw a stone, that doesn't give them the authority to do so. You need to understand this, that even if Jesus said, go ahead and stone her to death, they wouldn't do it because the Romans didn't give them the authority to do that. Again, this is not about stoning, it's not about adultery, it's not about a trial. It's about giving Jesus an opportunity to contradict Moses. But if he agrees with Moses by saying that, if that's how he responds, then what's the big deal? Well, the big deal has to do with something else. It has to do with how this circumstance is being presented to him. You see, it would be very easy for Jesus to say, well, that's what Moses said, go on your way, we don't have an argument here. But that's not the subtlety of what the Pharisees are presenting. That's not the trap that they have laid for him. The trap is about something else. It's about the subtleties of how they're presenting this woman to him in the context of a trial. You see, while Moses did certainly say that if a person was caught in adultery, this person should be executed, this is not all that Moses had to say about this subject. There certainly is no question with regards to whether or not this woman had actually committed adultery. But if you are going to condemn someone to death, if you are going to state that a person should be executed in the context of a trial such as this, they are presenting this issue to the Lord Jesus in the context of a trial, If that's the case, then there's an awful lot more to the judgment than just declaring what the law is or what the law is not. Because Moses had a lot to say with regards to trials. He had a lot to say with regards to how judgments should be executed, especially in the context of adultery. For example, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, it says, If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, One who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. Moses made it clear that the adulteress should be put to death, but that's not all that he said. He said that the adulterer, that the man who she had committed adultery with, should also be put to death. And so this could provide the Pharisees an opportunity to accuse the Lord Jesus of contradicting the Mosaic law because if Jesus says that the woman should be put to death, while he certainly would be answering their question correctly, that's true. The problem, however, is that if he answers their question in that way, they could then reply to his answer by saying that he is contradicting the Mosaic law because the man who she had been committing adultery with was not there. He was not there in order to receive the same judgment that she would have been receiving. Now, this is just one example with regards to this subject, with regards to how they could accuse him. This is one example, but I want you to see that the theme that I am presenting here is that the way that they could accuse him is not by what Moses said, but it is by other things that Moses had to say that Jesus could contradict in answering their question. I believe that this is what we need to pay attention to as they were looking for a subtle opportunity to accuse the Lord Jesus. Again, you see, there would be no real accusation that they could levy against Jesus if he said, yes, Moses said that the adulteress should be stoned. There is no real accusation there. The accusation would come from other areas of the Mosaic law that Jesus could potentially violate in the event that he answered their question by just giving the simple judgment of, yes, that she should be stoned according to the law of Moses. I am out of time for this broadcast, and so I will have to continue with this subject in the next program. However, I would like to refer you to a specific program that I have done. It's titled, Do Not Do According to Their Talk-A-Note, where I explain in greater detail the conflict between the Pharisees and the Lord Jesus from a historical perspective in terms of what the Pharisees believed and why they believed what they did believe in terms of how they were going to live their daily lives, how they derived their laws that they came up with in addition to the Mosaic Law, why they came up with those laws to begin with, and why this would be so much of a problem with regards to the Lord Jesus being the Messiah, especially in context with the Lord Jesus' ministry and his purpose in preparing the people to receive the new covenant that was about to go into effect as a result of his death. And so I would like to encourage you to listen to that program for additional details with regards to this significant disagreement and conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus. And I will continue on this subject of the woman caught in adultery in the next program. And until then, I sincerely pray that the Lord will continue to reveal to you the many blessings that you have in Christ Jesus, our Lord.